copy of God's Word and turn to Philippians chapter 4. And I'll be reading today for the first time in a public worship service from the HCSB. Now that stands for Holman Christian Standard Bible, but I'd rather call it the Hardcore Southern Baptist Bible. That's uh, what I am and that's what I look at this as. And uh, um, I've talked about why I'm here and many of you go to Sunday school, you have the Gospel Project you'll find the text of the HCSB in your literature. So uh, if it doesn't read like your Bible, that's all right, because we're going to put it up on the screen. And we're also going to put the verses that I talk about uh, from the HCSB in your outline every week. So you'll have it there in front of you, whether it's in your copy. And you don't have to buy one. Please don't think I'm telling you to go out and buy one. And we'll furnish you everything you need if you come to worship here. Well, let's stand as we show our respect for the reading of God's Word. And this is the Word of the Living God. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may sit down. You know, as you look at this passage, and we're going to be thinking about things that go along with our 40-day journal, uh, as we think about this passage, I want you to understand uh, this, this is something we need to focus on. Uh, Philippians 4.19 is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. In fact, you know, for years when you'd go to ball games, uh, people would hold up signs that would say John 3.16. And I like that because that reminds us of the message of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life or everlasting life. And I like that. But 4.19 is in the same Bible, Philippians 4.19, and it's just as true as John 3.16. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Uh, Brother Ken, in his beautiful prayer a while ago, alluded to the fact that a lot of the reasons why the Boy Scouts are considering changing their charter is because, and it's primarily just two institutions, and I will tell you who they are. One of them is Merck Pharmaceuticals. And the other one is UPS. We have folks in this church that work for UPS. We may have folks in this church that work for Merck Pharmaceuticals. But what they've decided is they're no longer going to support financially. And these are corporations that literally give uh, thousands and maybe even millions of dollars every year to charitable organizations. And they do it because they get a tax write-off for doing it. It's not like they're doing it and not getting anything in return. But they have decided they're not going to give to individual, individual organizations that are not so-called politically correct. And that's the whole thing with the Boy Scouts. It does not have anything to do uh, with the number of homosexuals in this country. Uh, and by the way, if you want to research this, I believe in actuality there are probably no more than 2 or 3% of the population of this country that are homosexuals. Uh, and, and, and at a... At a huge, if you want to say, what's the most liberal number you would accept? I would say no more than 10%. Now, in my book, 90% is an overwhelming majority. 
and, and, and if it's two or three percent, that is even bigger majority. Uh, but they have got a loud voice in the media and they are letting themselves be heard. It's time we quit backing up and it's time we let people know how we feel. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Uh, because we have been redeemed. We've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus, more precious than silver or gold. And I'm thankful for so many of the scout leaders here in Alabama taking a strong leadership role against this rules change. But, but in the Bible here, we see that God is the source of all that we have, uh, not our jobs, uh, not our spouse, not our, our family income. If you're an heir and your, your parents were rich, you're going to inherit everything that they have. You need to understand the reason they have what they have is because God gave it to them. And God is the great giver. And so we're going to look at this today and see three, three transforming truths. Uh, in teaching not a fan, I want to share as much as I can out of that book with you. Uh, Kyle Eidelman is an exciting young preacher and he's in his early 30s and uh, he's not even the lead pastor or senior pastor at Southeast Christian Church, but he is a teaching pastor. And uh, he is a wonderful teacher. I love how he writes. I, I love how he speaks. And he says this in Not a Fan, Jesus begins his call to follow him with these two words, if anyone. Anyone is a significant word because it makes it clear whom he is inviting. He is inviting anyone. Anyone is an all-inclusive word Anyone means everyone. And the truths I'm going to tell you today will work for anyone and everyone. And these are three truths that everyone needs to know. The most important truth in life is to know that you are saved. If you will turn in your Bible, if you want to read it in 1 John 5, 12 and 13, if not, it's right there on your outline. These are the words the apostle John wrote in his epistle. He says, the one who has the son has life. The one who doesn't have the son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. As I talk to people, every now and then I'll come across some man who will say, Preacher, I don't believe you can know, really know, that you have eternal life until you die. I don't believe, and this is what they say, I don't agree with it, this is what they say, and I don't know where they got it, they didn't get it from the Bible. Uh, they say, I believe you have to die, when you die, you stand before God, and when you stand before God, he says, well, no, you thought you were saved, but you're lost, or, or you thought you were lost, but you're saved, and he said, it doesn't make any difference what you do. It certainly does make a difference what you do. Now, salvation begins with God. We could not be saved if God had not sent his son. We could not be saved if God had not sent his Holy Spirit to convict us. We could not be saved unless we turned in faith, believing what the Bible says about Jesus to receive him as our Lord and Savior. But once you're saved, you know that you're saved. I've had a no-so salvation since I was 16 years of age. I was a church member for seven years before that. If you asked me publicly, hey, are you going to heaven? I would have said yes. And if you'd have said, why are you going to heaven? I would have said, because I joined the church when I was nine years old. I walked the aisle. I shook the preacher's hand. I went in the baptistry. I got dunked in the baptistry. They gave me a Bible. I joined the church. I can vote in the business meetings if I want to. And uh, I could have told you I was going to heaven for those reasons. And I would have been wrong. You know, I might have thought I was saved, but when I was about 14 years of age, it began to dawn on me. God had never done anything in my life. I had friends who were saved and they were different. They wanted to do the right things. When they did the wrong things, they felt bad. When I did wrong things, I felt bad if I got caught. 
If I didn't get caught, I didn't feel so bad. In fact, I was trying to wait a few weeks and do something else wrong, hoping I wouldn't get caught then. You say, what happened when you got caught? I knew I was caught. That's what it was. You say, well, didn't you regret doing it? Not at the time. I regretted being caught. Why? Because I was a sinner, and that's what sinners do. But when I knelt in that cornfield in Walker County in the summer of 1964 at a church youth retreat, God did a work in my life, and I've never been the same since. That's why these are three transforming truths. You say, how can I know that I'm saved? Very simply, has Jesus transformed your life? If you're the same person you've always been, he has not transformed your life. And you need that first transformational truth. You need to be saved. There's a very simple spiritual equation here. And it's very simple because no Jesus, N-O Jesus, no Jesus in your life, you have no salvation in your life. But if you know Jesus, if you know Jesus personally, if he is more than just a name, if he's more than just a character in history, if he's more than just somebody you call the good Lord, if you know him personally, if you know Jesus, you have a no-so salvation. I want to tell you, that's when life really begins. That's what John says. He says, if you don't have the son, you don't have life. And you need to have Jesus. And so the first tremendous truth, transforming truth in life, is to know you're saved. The second most important truth in life is to know how to tell others how they can be saved. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says, But honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, the word defense there is the Greek word apologia, and we get our word apologetics from that. When I first heard about apologetics, I didn't like it. I thought it was liberal. I thought it meant we were apologizing for being Christians. That's not what it is at all. Uh, An apologetic is a rational defense of the Christian faith. I believe that a rational person can be a Christian. In fact, I believe that most Christians are rational people. Now, there are some who aren't. But I believe that most Christians, are. it makes sense to me to be a Christian because God made the world, God made me, he made me in his image in the fall of Adam, in the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, that divine image was marred and something had to happen for me to have that divine image reawakened and reestablished and God sent his son to do that. Now, if the most important truth in life is knowing how to be saved, the second most important truth in life is knowing how to tell others that they're saved. In fact, that phrase there, a reason, can be translated who demands of you an accounting. It's almost like a mathematical term or a business term. Uh, Now, I want to tell you this. In our church, we have the books audited every year. We have an auditor, a professional auditor, who comes in and goes over our books with a fine-tooth comb. You say, why do you do that? We do that for two reasons. First of all, it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. I would not ask you to give money to anything you don't have confidence in. And we have that accountant come in and they look over our books. They give us a squeaky clean report. If they find something, they tell us what we're doing wrong and we straighten it out. We've never had a problem with our accountant coming in and saying, you had a problem last year and you didn't straighten it out. And that's exactly what Uh, this word says here, who gives you an accounting. Uh, Can you tell somebody how to be saved? Let Let me give you an example. If you're driving down the road and you're doing fine and you're the person you love most in the world is sitting beside you. Now in my wife, in my case, that'd be my wife and she's already saved. So that won't work. But say it's, it's my granddaughter, Lily and Lily's sitting beside me. Now Lily's already asked Jesus in her heart 
but she hadn't been baptized yet. So, but in case she hadn't asked Jesus in her heart, just for supposition, we're driving down the road and I'm on my side and I'm, I'm driving and enjoying the day talking to Lily. And all of a sudden a drunk driver comes across that lane and hits us head on. And there's a crash and glass and flies everywhere and smoke comes up and and I look over, and I'm okay. I'm kind of shaken up, but I look over, and Lily's in bad shape. And Lily turns to me, and she said, Ball Ball, I'm scared I'm going to die and not go to heaven. Can you tell me how to be saved? Now, I want you to know I wouldn't panic at that time because I know how to tell people how to be saved. But I'm, I'm guessing that there are many people in this room today that if you're riding with a person you love the most who's not a Christian and you only had 30 seconds, maybe to a minute, to tell them how to be saved, what would you do? Would you say, let me call Brother Mike. He knows how to tell people how to be saved. Let me call people that go on mission trips. They know how to tell people how to be saved. No, you as a Christian need to be able at any time, at any moment, to give a reason for why you have hope. And the reason we have hope is based on the fact that Jesus loved us and died for us and was buried and rose again. And he says, if any man comes unto me, I will receive him. If any man has Christ, they have salvation. If they don't have Christ, they don't have salvation. Learn how to share your faith. Whether you use ABC, admit you're a sinner, believe in Jesus, commit your life to him, or whether you use the Roman road, or whether you use faith, or, or whatever you choose to use. The first little boy I ever led to Christ, I used John 3:16, And I just put his name in there. I said, for God so loved Adrian. He said, it doesn't say that. I said, it says God loves the world. You're part of the world, aren't you? He said, yes, sir. I said, God so loves Adrian that he gave his only begotten son that if Adrian, he said, it doesn't say that. I said, what does it say? He says, whosoever. I said, you're a whosoever, aren't you? He said, I am. I went through John three sixteen like that. I got through John three sixteen. Guess what happened? That little boy got saved. Now, when I did that, I was 18 or 19 years old. I didn't know near as much about the Bible as I do now. I'd never taken a soul winning course in my life. But guess what? That little boy got saved because I could tell him very simply and very plainly how to get saved. So the most important truth in life is to know you're saved. The second most important truth in life is to know how to tell others they can be saved. The third most important truth in life is learning to live in God's blessing. And this little book will help you learn to live in God's blessing. In fact, it will help you go deeper in the blessings of God than you've ever gone before. I promise you that. It's all based on Scripture. Now, when you're under God's blessing, you see, first of all, God is your provider. And let me say this up front. During these messages, some of you are going to say, well, Brother Mike's preaching on money. Well, I may have to mention money a time or two, but let me tell you something. The Bible talks about money a whole lot. In fact, Jesus talked about money a whole lot. If you don't believe that, you just hadn't read the Bible. You know, we tend to read the parts we like, like Psalm 23 and John 3:16, and sometimes we leave old Malachi out because Malachi talks about uh, we might be robbing God, and we don't want to hear that. But I want to tell you this. You hear me say this. You hear me say it loud. And if you hear anybody else say, all Brother Mike cares about is money, money, money. If God doesn't have your soul, it doesn't matter how much money you give him. Listen to me. If you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, if you don't know that you're saved, don't you dare think that I'm going to stand up here and say, well, if you'll just give an offering to God, if you listen, if somebody came up to me right now and said, I know you want to build that gym and it probably cost about two and a half million dollars and preacher, I'll give the church two and a half million dollars. If you'll just tell me right now, that's what I need to do to be saved. What do you think I'd do? You think I'd say, okay, write the check out and you'll be saved. No. 
I would say, listen, if you've got two and a half million dollars and God tells you to give it, he'll bless you for giving it. But I want to tell you this, two and a half million dollars is not enough to save your soul. Only Jesus can save your soul. Only the blood of the lamb can save your soul. And if God has not got your soul, he does not want your money because you're not his. Now, I love you, and I want you to belong to him first. But when we live under his blessings, we realize God is your provider. Notice Paul says here, my God will supply. Now, some of you think, and some of y'all work for nice companies. Some of y'all work for Alabama Power. You know, when I was growing up in Birmingham, if you had a job with Alabama Power or the phone company or U.S. Steel, Brother Neil, where you used to work, if you had a job with one of those three companies, you know what? You had it made because those were some of the strongest companies in Birmingham. Now, Alabama Power is still pretty strong. The phone company is just about gone. It's in so many pieces you can't find it all. U.S. Steel... I don't know if they've hired anybody in the last 30 years or not. They've laid off a whole lot of people. Well, guess what? If you looked at Alabama Power or the phone company or U.S. Steel as your supply, you're in trouble. But when God is your supply, you don't have to worry about that. And you say, well, wait a minute, preacher. This church has been supplying you for 33. You, you have, and I appreciate it. But I want to tell you this. If you quit supplying me tomorrow, God is my supply. He'll send somebody to help me out. He'll send somebody uh, to, to, to take care of me. Why? Because he is my supplier. He's the source of my supply. So see, God is your provider. And when you have God as your provider, there's no need for fear and worry. Jesus said this in the first sermon he ever preached, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Once you're in the kingdom, God says, I'll take care of you. You make your first priority seeking me and my kingdom and living for me, and I'll provide everything that you need. Uh, did you see what Paul said to the church at Philippi? He said, man, when I left Philippi and went to Macedonia, you were the only church that took care of me. But boy, you kept sending things. I didn't even ask for them. You kept sending them. And he said, then when I went on, you still kept seeing, sending me things. And he said, and now Epaphroditus has brought me some more things. He said, man, I have more than I need. And I know it came from you. But you know what? God is going to supply you with what you need for giving to me. There's no need for fear and worry. Seek first the kingdom of God. Third thing, you control your finances, and your finances don't control you. In Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, which is right after that beautiful passage, 3, 5, and 6, that talk about acknowledging the Lord and seeking, and seeking his way uh, and not our way, right after that wonderful passage, it says this, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first pr produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Uh, when you control your finances, they don't control you. You're living under God's control, God's supply, and you're obeying the laws of the harvest that God gives us, and, and, and you control your finances. You know, for many years, I have to be honest, we tithed, and, uh, and, and we made it, but I'll be honest with you, there were times when we had to rob Peter to pay Paul, and the rest of the apostles just didn't get a thing, but uh, uh, those days are over now. We went through momentum several years ago, and the first thing they said in momentum was get $1,000 in your emergency fund. Well, when Dave Ramsey said that, I wanted to quit. I said, $1,000 in my emergency fund? That's easy for a millionaire like Dave Ramsey, uh, but he doesn't live on a preacher's pay. And finally, I thought, well, if I'm going to tell the folks to do it, I better do it. And Mary and I started talking about we need to do that. 
And do you know, within two months, we were able to put $1,000 in an emergency fund. You say, well, have you ever spent it? Well, do you think preachers don't have emergencies? Sure, I've spent it. And when we spend it, though, we don't put it on credit card. We, we pay it and we put it back in there. And right now, we've got $1,000 in an emergency fund that's there for emergencies. And now I don't have to worry about my finances. My finances are in better shape than they've ever been. Uh, we don't have late payments anymore. Well, we don't charge things anymore. If we, if we use a charge card, we pay it off. Uh, we're trying to be debt-free. Mary's car will be paid for in March. That's the last car payment we'll have. Uh, and I plan on keeping other cars and Mary's car until all the wheels fall off. And when they do, we don't need it anymore. And we just won't worry about it. But I'll call you and let you give me a ride wherever I need to go. I'll be so by then anyway. But uh, I'm not worried about that. But isn't it great? That's the first, this is going to be in, in March. Now, some of you think about this. Since 1974, I have had a car payment sometimes too. And in March of 2013, I'm going to be at a place where I don't have a car payment. We don't have a car payment. All the cars are paid for. And uh, that's going to be a hallelujah moment. And then in a couple of years, hopefully our house will be paid for. And, and when that happens, I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to shout, I'm dead free. And Mary's going to be hollering right behind me, we're dead free. We're not in financial bondage anymore. But when you do, when you honor the Lord, he blesses you and you control your finances and finances don't control you. Another way you can walk in the blessings of God is you'll deny worldliness and greed. Jesus said this in Luke, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of possessions. Now, Neil, I hadn't seen your truck lately, but you used to have a bumper sticker on your truck that said, he who dies with the most toys is still dead. Now, that's the truth. And, uh, and that's a lot of times what we spend our life trying to get more toys more bigger, newer, fancier toys. Let me tell you what happens. You have a little baby. That little baby is so sweet and precious. But I want to guarantee you this, and I'm, I'm fixing to have a new grandbaby, Lord willing, the end of May, 1st of June. And I'm going to say this about sweet baby. When sweet baby comes into this world, sweet baby will come in with hands like this. You, I've been to hospitals. I've seen them. Don't look at me like I'm stupid. They come in with hands like this. I can take you down to the nursery today. I can get two two-year-old boys, take them out in the hall. I can tell the teacher, put a hundred toys in the floor and put one big red dump truck right in front. And those two boys walk in there and they see a hundred toys in the floor. But you know what they both see? They see one big red dump truck. And those two little boys get this gleam in their eye and they go and they grab, the one of them grabs that toy dump truck and he picks it up and he says those words that every human being likes to say mine and he holds on to it as tight as he can and that other little boy looks like he gets possessed by 10 demons and he goes down there and he has hatred and murder in his eyes and he grabs that dump truck and he says mine and you got a tug of war between two two-year-olds you know why that happens because of sin nature and guess what happens? Those two-year-olds grow up, and, that, and they can be saved. And that sin nature is still in there. And you can be just as greedy. You can love Jesus and be greedy. Christians walk in sin sometimes. But when you love Jesus, you know what you do? You say, not mine, yours. Everything I have came from you, it's yours anyway. By the way, 
Who's going to own your house 100 years from now? You say, I don't know. Sure you don't. You won't be around to worry about it. I don't care how young you are. You're not going to be around in 100 years to worry about it. When babies are born, they come into the world like this. When we die, we go out of the world with our hands like this. You go down to the funeral home with me. You see that saint lying in that casket. Unless you put something in their hand, there's nothing in their hand because their hands are empty. You brought nothing in, you can't take anything out. But praise God, you can send it on ahead, amen? Jesus said, don't treasure it up here on earth, treasure it up in heaven. Then the last thing, your life will be crowned with joy. Paul's last words to the Ephesian elders were, in every way I've shown you that by laboring like this, it is necessary to help the weak and to keep in mind the words of the Lord Jesus. For he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I love what Kyle said. He said, when you accept the invitation of Jesus to follow him, you are not just saying that he is a top priority in your life. You're making him the only priority in your life. You know, I'm going to close with a story I couldn't tell for a long time. There was a man who was a member of this church, very affluent man, hardworking man, probably at one time was the wealthiest man in this church. He came to see me one day and he said, Preacher, I don't know what's gone wrong. He said, but I'm not making any money. He said, I can't get jobs. He said, I'm, I'm about to have to file bankruptcy. He said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I looked at him and I said, you want me to tell you the truth or you want me to tell you what you want to hear? He said, you better tell me the truth. I said, I'm going to tell you the truth. I love you. But I said, you're living out of God's will. You're living in sin. And God can't bless his children when they live in sin. And I'd like to tell you, he said, well, I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. Preacher, let's go to the altar. I'll get right. He didn't do that. You know what he did? He got mad. He said, I don't believe that. And I said, well, I don't care whether you believe it or not. It's the truth. And I said, if you want God to bless you, you have to repent of your sin and confess it and forsake it and ask God to forgive you and then do the right thing. He said, I'm not going to do that. I said, that's your choice. You asked me my opinion. I told you the truth. Two days later, my phone rang. You meet me down at the church. Yes, sir. Met him at the church. Nobody here but me and him. We came down and we knelt in this altar. He confessed his sin to God. He told God he'd been wrong. He confessed in that prayer God had been taking him to the woodshed. And he said, God, I can't take it anymore. He said, you used to bless me. I knew your blessing. I've lost it. God, forgive me. God, restore me. God, help me. We got up. Big, strong man wiped tears from his eyes. We walked out that door. Six months later, he called me to come to his house. I walked in his house. And he sat me down and introduced me to a young lady who had some problems. And he said, I want to tell you about this man. He said, He's not going to sugarcoat it. He's not going to tickle your ears. But whatever he tells you to do, you do it. Because he said, six months ago I was living in sin. And I was walking in disobedience. And I was about to file bankruptcy. And he said, I got my life right with God. And God's blessed me. And he said, I'm making more money now than I've ever made in my life. And I'm happier than I've been in years. And God is in control of my life. And he looked at that young lady and he, he said these words, whatever that man says to do, you do it. You say, why would a man say that? Because I told him the truth. You can't walk in sin 
and receive the blessings of God. You can only receive God's blessings when you walk in holiness and righteousness and obedience to him. And if you're walking in holiness and righteousness, obedience, then God is your supplier. And you won't have to worry about greed. And all you'll have to do is just make sure that you don't get out of the path of God's blessing. You know, when I preached on life a couple weeks ago, God said, I set before you life and death, cursing and blessing. God doesn't make it hard. He makes it very simple. And he makes it very clear. You see, there's only two paths in life. One of them is straight and narrow, and it leads to life. And the other is wide and broad, and it's easy to walk in, and it ends in destruction. And you decide which path you're going to follow in life. You say, well, I'm already saved. I'm on the straight and narrow. Well, make sure you stay there. You see, grace saves you. But perseverance and commitment and discipleship keeps you. The Holy Spirit will keep you. He'll, I guarantee you, he'll take you to the woodshed. You say, that sounds like the voice of experience. It is. I don't like the woodshed. I've been there far too many times. But I'm so thankful he loved me enough that he didn't let me go. He wouldn't let me off. He saw me through. And he'll do the same for you. Let's pray together.